Hey Cross United, it's Pastor Danny here. I'm so glad you've joined us for this online message. While you are turning or tapping in your Bible or your app to John 13, 36 through chapter 14, verse 4, I want to remind you, you can go to crossunited.org. There are two places there on the menu bar that you can click. The first is online check-in. That will take you to our digital connection card where you can fill out some information about yourself so that we can get to know you a little bit better and you can get to know us a little bit better. There's also a spot on there where you can fill out any prayer requests you might have. Also there on the crossunited.org homepage on the top right-hand corner is the giving tab. If you consider Cross United your church home or you just consider yourself a generous person, I want to encourage you to give. We are a new church and so we are supported by partners and people all over the nation, but we are working toward becoming a self-supporting church. So thank you for your faithfulness to give as part of the Cross United family. You know, a gut-wrenching story uh, broke this past week. It, it's been months and, and really several years in the making, but it was revealed that a beloved and well-known Christian teacher and leader, Ravi Zacharias, was actually a manipulative, deceptive, and unrighteous predator against many, many women. And uh, the news broke, and uh, and it just it just is so hard to process. And it's been all over uh, the internet, and people talking about this. How do we how do we deal with this? I used to listen to his radio show when I was in a secular university doing my undergraduate degree and really helped me uh, approach my faith uh, from a place of intellectual uh, honesty and realizing there was an intellectual aspect and foundation and integrity to the Christian faith. And so this, this was just a, a painful, painful story to, to, to hear um, that, that a, uh, someone many considered to be a Christian hero was actually an unrighteous villain. And uh, in, in this tragic tale, I think uh, it's not so much about this story, but I think we find a parable of what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to lead like Jesus. Um, we're designed, you see, to be supporting actors in the drama of redemption. We're designed to be uh, lesser players in the story of what Jesus is doing, what the triune God is doing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But too often, we can get this sense that we are actually the star of the story, or we can buy and do something that says that another person is the star of the story, and either fall into sinful behavior or horribly abusive behavior or enable those who are perpetrating such behavior. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a series called Best Supporting Actors. And we're going to be looking here at the stories of three of Jesus's followers as part of our series in the Gospel of John that we've been calling the Book of Life. We're doing this mini-series as these three Bible characters, these three disciples 
engage Jesus in conversation. And the first person we're going to look at is Peter. Peter, the brash and bold leader of this band of disciples. And then we're going to look at Thomas, the, the infamous doubter of Jesus's resurrection. And then we're going to hear from Philip, one of the earliest followers of Jesus and friends with uh, Peter and from and, and the brother of the disciple Andrew. We're going to take this opportunity as these followers, as these friends of Jesus ask him questions uh, to do a character sketch or a character profile of each of them. And what we're going to find is that they are both faithful and frail. Uh, they are both worth imitating and worth learning from their mistakes. They are both sinners and saints. We will find a lack of awareness and delusions of their own commitment, and we'll find true commitment to Christ. In other words, what we're going to find is that these men are not so much heroes of the faith, but they are supporting players, supporting actors whose story is meant to point to the true story of the greatest and only true hero. Previously in the Gospel of John, we've seen Jesus gather his, his closest friends and followers on this final night together, starting in chapter 13, and, and do this profoundly shocking act of service where he does something that there's no record of anyone doing in the ancient world from, from a, a teacher doing for a student or a leader doing for a follower or a superior doing to an inferior. And that is he did the degrading service of washing their feet. And he in this is pointing toward the ultimate service, the ultimate act of sacrifice that he would do. And that is he would die on the cross. And as he's talking with these followers, he expels Judas who would betray him. And then he shares his heart, his heart for the glory of God and his heart that they would love one another. And he explains in verse 33 that he wants to prepare them for his departure. He wants to prepare them for the season that is ahead of them. And here we, we find Peter. Enter Peter, the, the bold. He's a famous character in the Bible. And uh, briefly, we'll talk about his story and the first chapter of his story. Um, you know, he receives his name, Peter or Cephas in Greek. Peter is the Aramaic. And, and his name was Simon, but Jesus calls him Peter, which means rock. And uh, he's one of the first followers of Jesus. He's a fisherman. Um, his, his brother is Andrew. He's from the hometown of Philip, he uh, he was married. Not all the disciples were married, but he was married. He's he's often listed first among all the disciples. He's recognized as the leader of the disciples. Um, he famously walked to Jesus on the sea, and and he says, "Master, if it's you, command me to come out to you." And and he does, and he walks on the sea as long as he looks at Jesus. He is the one who in the middle of the, the synoptic gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke confesses that Jesus is the son of the living God, the Messiah. 
He's the one in John 6 who says, Jesus says, do you want to leave me like the crowds have left me? And he says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter also has a boldness and a bravado about him. And he, and he shows commitment to Christ. And we see earlier in John 13, when Jesus is washing their feet, Peter's like, no, 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 no. I should be washing your feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. He says, Lord, not just my feet, but my, my head, my, to, to wash me completely. So we see both faithfulness in Peter and frailty in Peter. Um, he was one of the inner circle, along with James and John with Jesus. He was one who got to see Jesus's transfiguration, his revelation of his glory on the mountain. This is Peter. This is the first chapter of Peter's story. And what we're going to see here in John 13 is the, the beginning of the second chapter of Peter's story. There in John 13, 36. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, Where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, Why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. When, when Jesus says he has to leave, now remember, the, these guys had been following Jesus all over the land of Israel, all over the, 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 the land that God had promised to Abraham and even beyond. For years they'd been following him. So when he says, I have to leave, Peter's like, well, why can't we go with you? I'll go with you. And what he thinks Jesus is saying is you can't go because it's dangerous, that that he's trying to maybe protect Peter. And Peter's like, no, 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 I'm going to go for you and, and you don't need to protect me. I'm going to protect you. I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and I'll lay down my life for you. What, where are you going? Why, why can't I go? I'm here with you, Jesus. I'm here for you, Jesus. I'll lay down my life for you. I'll die for you. And here Jesus exposes him in verse 38. Will you lay down your life for me? Will you die for me? The rooster won't even crow three times until you have denied me. You won't even be able to admit that you know me. See, Peter thinks he's got the character and the commitment, but it hasn't been put to the test yet. And he's actually got the gospel upside down. He thinks that his calling is to lay down his life for Jesus, but his calling is to accept that Jesus will lay down his life for Peter. Commentator uh, Mickey Klink says, The irony is stark. It is Jesus whose life is to be given on behalf of Peter. This statement offers a foundation for understanding discipleship. As much as the disciples are servants of Christ, giving their lives to the service of the Lord, they are first and foremost served by Christ, who gave himself his life on their behalf. To reverse this is to misunderstand the gospel. Herein we find a parable of both faithfulness and frailty. We find a reminder, as Augustine said, of our own failure 
to commit and not to trust in our own strength. If Peter didn't stand, why would we think that we would? Now, obviously, this was a difficult word that disturbed the disciples. They're like, if whoa, 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 Peter, if this, if this is what can, if this is what happens to Peter, what, what about the rest of us? And this is where Jesus speaks a word of comfort to Peter and to all of them. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. And Jesus speaks this word of comfort and encouragement. He speaks faith into their hearts, calling them to believe in God and to believe in Him as they believe in God because He is God. Christ is God the Son in human nature. Believe in God, believe also in me. This is a tremendous command and claim that would be idolatry and blasphemy if it were not coming from the mouth of someone who was in fact God himself. He explains that he's departing to prepare a place for them. What does he mean by that? He says he's departing and in my father's house there are many rooms and, and I'm preparing this place for you. If I go and prepare this place, I will come again and bring you back to me. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about two things. Really one thing with two aspects. He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about the heavenly presence of God, that he is, he is preparing the way for them to enter into the presence of God for all eternity. John, who wrote this narrative down, captures the throne room scene of heaven in Revelation 5, where this multitude no one could number from every tongue and tribe and family and nation gathers around the throne and worships. So he's preparing this place, this, this house with many rooms. He's preparing this place, but he's also preparing for the future, and he's also preparing in the present. He's preparing a people for a place, and he's preparing a place for a people. In other words, he's building his church. He's building his church. Because the place that Jesus is preparing is an eternal place in the future, but it's also a temporal place in the present. It is the church. Hebrews 12, 22 and 20, uh, through 24 says, Instead, you have come to Mount Zion. He's talking to Christians as they go to church. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. To myriads of angels in festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, and to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. What is this saying? It's saying that Jesus's crucifixion, burial, and resurrection is providing a place for a people and a people for a place that he is reuniting humanity to himself and to one another. That he is creating this new thing called the church 
of the living God. He is bringing to people, old people and young people and middle-aged people and white people and black people and brown people and Republican people and Democratic people and independent people and rich people and poor people and middle-income people. He's bringing them together both now and forever in all of its diversity, all of the many rooms that this people called the church has, all of the different, you know, what we call denominations, all of the, the different uh, cultural uh, manifestations, all of the different times and different places. This one house, though, houses all of these many rooms. He's preparing a place. And that place is the Father's house, where God will be all in all. And there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor f female, all in Christ. People of every tongue and tribe and family and nation gathered around the throne. He's preparing the place for his people, the supporting actors in his story. And he tells them, you know the way. But Peter... Peter has to learn that way, the hard way. He fails. He falls asleep when Jesus needs him to stay awake, and he denies Jesus when he's asked if he knows him, let alone dying for him. He fails. But that's not the end. That's not the end. And that's what we see in the third chapter of Peter's story. We see that after Jesus is crucified, he is buried. And when he is raised from the dead, that the, one of the first witnesses to his resurrection was Peter. That... Jesus, at the end of John's gospel, we'll see when we get there in, in not too long, in chapter 21, restores Peter three times. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. Why? Three restoration words for three denying words. Peter receives the Holy Spirit in Pentecost and becomes a... A, an unstoppable preacher of the gospel in the very beginning of the, the book of Acts. He's commissioned, we, we find out from Paul in Galatians 2, that he's commissioned to reach the Gentiles with the gospel and, and nevertheless receives the vision of the inclusion of the Gentiles and, and the, the family of Cornelius. That Peter has got a front row seat for what God is doing in the world. as He's preparing this people for this place and this place for this people. And he fails again. In Galatians 2, he fails again. He, he gets intimidated by the Jewish brothers and sisters at at, at, in the church, in the presence of the Gentiles, and he fails to live up to this, the conduct and the standard of the gospel. And, and he has to repent again. And he pastors churches in Asia Minor. We see in the, the letters that he wrote, he was a frail and faithful follower of Jesus. And he learned that he was a supporting actor 
in the story of the main character. And that's what, that's what, that's what the story is calling us to. You know, the story's calling us to stop letting ourselves star in Jesus's story. The, the, the story is calling us to stop letting some other person star in Jesus's story. You know, if there's a little H hero in the Ravi Zacharias story, I think it's found in those who wouldn't accept easy answers when there was smoke. And they said, where there's smoke, there's likely fire. And they kept pressing for the truth. The, the, the little H heroes are, are found in the women who, despite being abused by a powerful, wealthy, influential Christian leader in the name of Christ, they nevertheless believe in that Christ. The true heroes of the faith are those who realize that the true hero is Christ alone and that we are supporting actors in his story. God designed us for life, an abundant life with him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists.